can't rewrite the Doctor Who podcast. Not one line. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast number 49, we're going to be looking at the news, all the stuff that's been out there building up over the past couple of weeks we're going to cover in this episode, so a big catch-up news episode. Welcome on and all to another episode of the Doctor Who Podcast. It's fantastic to be here. It's fantastic to have your company uh, wherever you happen to be listening to us in the car, on the train, on the bus, or perhaps just lying in your lounge room listening to our dulcet tones over your stereo. And I'll say hello to James. Hello, Trev. Great to be here once again. Indeed, indeed. And we have Tom. Hello, Tom. Back once again. Hello. Well, at, at last, the secret can be revealed as to where Tom has been for the last couple of weeks. You might have noticed that it's been James and I pretty much running the show for, I don't know, what seems like forever, actually, really. Yeah, a good couple of months now, I think. We, uh, we sent Tom on an all-expenses-paid trip in secret over to the uh, US of A to do some top-level spying on that overseas Doctor filming that took place. No expense was spared. We shoved him in the top of one of Stephen Moffat's suitcases, hoping he would be undiscovered. <laughs> Unfortunately, Customs found him when the plane touched down in New York, and he's actually been in quarantine for the last couple of weeks with a French poodle called Cyril. So that didn't really work out very well. But for Cyril, he's you been mean. declawed. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been declawed, and he's been sent back to us at an incredible expense to be with you this episode. Hello again, Tom. Hello. Yes, Cyril, as he prefers to be called, is doing very well underneath the desk. Thank you. <laughs> Jolly good. I we- hope you didn't pick up anything. Mm. Well, well, apart from Cyril. Apart from that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Cyril, uh, yes. So how was, your, how was your American trip then, Tom? Was it enlightening? It was, it was, it was claustrophobic. I'll give it that. Um, you know. I'm a bit more flexible than I realised. Thank you, thank you, of course, the ladies and gentlemen of the yeah. uh, JFK uh, Immigration Service for demonstrating that you can get something quite big into a small space. I appreciate that. So, yeah, it would have been good if I got out of the airport. That's all I can say. I love being part of the DWP because everything's a learning process. We've now learnt you need to put air holes in suitcases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's another thing you can chalk up to experience. Well, I think that's probably only true when you actually enclose someone within the suitcase, which, to be honest with you, is not something we do on a very, very regular basis. It's, it's only for special occasions like Tom. We are travelling to a Gallifrey 22 next year, and I am going to be doing it the conventional way, in a seat, <laughs> rather than luck down in a, uh, oh. in a uh, baggage compartment. Have, have you had any responses from anyone over there? It's like when, you know, when you were asking for a room, has anyone come back to you about that yet? Have actually a lovely gentleman who lives in the heart of San Francisco has uh, got in touch with me, and we're, we're currently working out the finer details. So thank you very, very much. We're talking about uh, you know sending Tom to America in a suitcase when all of a sudden that now sounds so much more attractive than staying at a stranger's house <laughs> in the middle of America. So I think I, I think I would rather be great. <laughs> I think I would rather travel across America and Mr. with Mr. Moffat's pants as my companion. But good luck to you. Well, <laughs> oh, tag. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. It, it's gonna be a fantastic trip. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. Okay. Well, at least I get to see you before you go to San Francisco. That's something. At least we get to meet once. Yes. <laughs> Parting will be such sweet sorrow, James, as I head to my doom in San Francisco, yes. And on that note, I think we really ought to start discussing the news. Please. Please. <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> Russell T. Davis has been quoted in SFX magazine about the infamous line, or the now infamous line, in the latest episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, Death of the Doctor, which has provoked a teensy-weensy little bit of debate on the internet. 
He said, I could not resist, I was hooting. It will never stick though, that 13 lives is stuck in people's heads. And he's absolutely right. I think he set out to achieve precisely what has actually happened, which is absolute furore um, within fandom. What was he trying to achieve? Was he trying to achieve publicity for the Sarah Jane Adventures? Or, I mean, the, the way I read that quote is... It's Russell T Davies having a bit of fun and thinking, oh, this will be such a giggle. Yeah. Everyone will be talking about it. And publicity is like a byproduct of it. Do you know, I think he's a fan of the show, but I'm not sure if he's a fan of some of the hardcore fans. And to be honest, I read that and thought, okay, that's just the Doctor being flippant in the same, you know, mm. in the way that he would be flippant. And the only people who would take that serious would be the hardcore fans. Um, Tom is 100% absolutely, completely correct on this. Uh, the 13 lines he's stuck in fandom's head he's messing with fandom he's never had any respect for fandom um you know apart from being a fan in his own little way and mm. this this 13 regeneration limits as i said it's an obscure little fact that very few people know about but uh, we've had that conversation already but certainly in the uk i would imagine tom will be able to back me up on that well yeah but, but here's the thing the other the other the other thing is i forget which story it is but there's that thing about time lords living forever barring accidents as well uh, War Games episode 10. But yes, I know. It's really just to play with the fans, to be honest. Totally. It, it's something no one else is going to care about. I mean, when people watch that, the, I don't know, the 8 to 13-year-olds, they're not going to be interested. Oh. I won't even remember it. You know, it's, it's, they're not going to suddenly make it on their list of fundamental things to know about the Doctor or the Sarah Jane adventures. It's just a line. It is so unimportant to everybody else. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating issue, and I think you can look at it a number of different ways, um, you know, and it won't go away yet. I don't think it's going to go away until we actually see the issue addressed in the way that, Tom, you've mentioned on several occasions in the past, actually as part of a proper Doctor Who episode, and yeah. it will actually the story will be told out. Whether or not that will ever materialise, whether or not there'll be a writer brave enough to take that on, whether there'll be a writer or an executive producer who gives it enough importance to actually address it within a story, only time will tell. It always does. So, the Sarah Jane Adventures topped the weekly ratings for CBBC, with both parts of the series opener getting a confirmed rating of over half a million viewers, according to figures released by BARB. Now, that's actually pretty respectful. It's got, it's, it's, got to, it's got to be said. That's great for a children's BBC show. Um, the Nightmare Man Part 2 topped the charts with 0.67 million viewers, with Part 1 getting 0.59 million viewers watching. The score is the highest rating for the channel since January. I think the Doctor keeps rolling on through the ratings. That's fantastic. What do you think? Yeah, great. I mean, I, we assume that they mean January this year, <laughs> last year. Um, but certainly, I think, I, I think the highest audience the Sarah Jane Adventures has got, and probably CBBC as well, is when David Tennant featured in the last series of Sarah Jane. So it'll be, because I think that was well over a million viewers, and the viewers stuck around after that too. Uh, so it was actually quite a good decision to have uh, David Tennant appear mid-series. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not it follows suit. Clearly, we've got Matt Smith coming up, or well, Matt Smith has now been uh, in the Sarah Jane Adventures. So it'll be interesting to see the final ratings for that particular story as well. But yeah, Sarah Jane Adventures more than punching its weight on CBBC Ooh. and BBC One. Well, looks like we're going to be getting another sneak peek at the uh, next uh, Christmas special for Doctor Who in the Children in Need broadcast this year. Now, that's happening around the uh, Friday the 19th of November, 7pm uh, on BBC One and BBC HD. It's, it seems to be quite buried in the uh, press release. There's like, like a very quick line that says, a sneak preview of the Doctor Who Christmas special. Like, no fanfare, no, this is going to make people want to really, you know, sort of tune in and watch Children in Need. Well, I, I think this is probably in line with the way Stephen Moffat operates, to be honest. I mean, Tom's mentioned, I keep on referring to things Tom said in the past. Tom, some of the things you said must have stuck, blimey. Um, <laughs> I, I think it just shows Stephen Moffat's attitude to the way that he brands and the way that he markets his Doctor Who, as opposed to Russell T Davis. It was lots of bells and whistles, lots of publicity, uh, with Russell T Davis, whereas this time round, Stephen Moffat seems to think, well, okay, I'll get the fans talking about the episodes, I'll get the fans talking about um, 
you know, the things that are coming up that I want to publicise. And I think this is just in line with that, to be honest with you. You know, he doesn't want to give too much away. Um, this particular news story, the way we've reported it, actually does make an assumption as well. We're saying a sneak preview. Those were the words actually used. It could actually only be a minute. It could be a clip. It may not necessarily be the entire pre-credit sequence as it was for the end of time and also for the next Doctor. Mm. Um, but it, it's good to see Doctor Who is still going to be part of the Children in Need schedule i just wonder you know to what extent we're actually going to see any new stuff it sounds like it's going to be very small clip of uh, of the christmas special the tardis crew are going to be materializing in cardiff in order to mark the city's annual start to the christmas festivities with matt smith karen gillen and Arthur Darville, all expected to be on hand to switch on the Christmas lights. The ceremony takes place at Cardiff Civic Centre, which is in King Edward VII Avenue, from 7.40 onwards on Wednesday the 10th of November. I seem to remember this is not the first time that we've had the Doctor Who cast turn on the lights in Cardiff. David Tennant and Billy Piper uh, performed that particular honour back in 2005. October the 19th saw filming resuming Cardiff Bay, uh, this time at an American-themed restaurant, Eddie's Diner on Mermaid Quay. This is quite interesting, isn't it, guys, given us neither, none of us knows Cardiff at all, so <laughs> don't know any of these particular locations. Uh, this time, all three principal actors were in attendance, plus guest star Alex Kingston. On the 26th of October, filming was observed to be taking place in two locations during the course of the day. Daylight hours are spent at the Coal Exchange near Cardiff Bay, and I think they've used that on several occasions. Um, I have also think it's going to make another appearance in the 2010 Christmas special. And the evening saw activity switch to Cardiff City Centre, focusing on the streets just south of the new theatre in, oh God, what's that? Crockerb Town. Town. Town Lane, thank you, and Park Place, another venue that's cropped up in past adventures. The next news item is really exciting for me because ABC Television have got on the fast-tracking bandwagon and we are going to be getting the 2010 Christmas special over here in the colonies on Boxing Day here, so very, very exciting. Pretty much within 24 hours of screening in the U of K, we're going to be getting it over here in uh, Australia. So very, very exciting. Paul McGann, also known as the Eighth Doctor, was in New Zealand last week. And quite interestingly, he was wearing the new Eighth Doctor costume. Now, it's a bit of an interesting point to see how a, how a costume can work in an audio format. But it, it all helps with the visualisation. Now, what I reacted to with this were two things. The first thing is that the, uh, the old man has got a new sonic screwdriver, which looks an awful lot like the Eleventh Doctor's screwdriver. It's, got, it's a same sort of length and it's got that bit it's got the uh, the large chandelier effect on the end but the thing i really reacted strongly to was that the eighth doctor's new costume consists of a black leather jacket um which i think it doesn't it doesn't take much of a leap of leap of faith to remember what the ninth doctor's costume was built around oh yes that was right a black leather jacket now these uh, whoever's designed this costume, whoever signed it off, and apparently the BBC have sort of smiled benignly on this, um, is clearly aware of who followed whom in this. And, that could, and although it's not exactly the same jacket, it's a nice sort of point of reference to think, well, OK, perhaps it was this Doctor that fought the Time War. Message ends. Interesting idea, Tom. But do we need that continuity there? I mean, um, one, one, one thing I suppose about the Doctor is that he changes when he regenerates. He he changes. I mean that that that's quite obvious. I suppose I'm really struggling to see the point of this costume reveal. Yeah, it's all publicity, isn't it? Yeah. Plus it looks plus it looks good on him. Must be said. <laughs> For whom? But again, who, who, precisely, who exactly are they serving this to? Fans? <laughs> I mean, you, you said it was an event, Tom. Um, what kind of event was it? It was a convention. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Armageddon Pop Culture uh. Expo. So uh, it was oh, of course, just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I I seem to remember Big Finish making a big song and dance about Colin Baker's new audio blue outfit as well, and I think Trevor and I had a bit of a a bit of a laugh about that at the time as well. And then what was even funnier was that Character Options released a version yes. of the Sixth Doctor <laughs> in this audio outfit, and you know, yeah, all right, it might make the covers of the audios a little bit more 
uh, palatable, a little bit different perhaps if they're dressing the character in a slightly different way. But this one, I've got to be with Trev. I mean, there is absolutely no point to this whatsoever, apart from to, um, you know, just try and promote Big Finish. I mean, I'm assuming that is what it's intended to do. This isn't Paul McGann going along in a leather jacket saying, oh, I'm in a new outfit. It is actually something coordinated by Big Finish, is that? Well, yeah, plus, you know, there's, there's someone stumped up to get a new sonic screwdriver designed and built for him as well. So, Pat, you know, as I say, we, we, we never really know what's going on with Big Finish. The... Well, the stories are all recorded six months in advance, so perhaps this does tie in with something that they that we'll all know about in six or eight months' time. Because as I as I say, the wow, first thing, yeah. the, the first thing, <laughs> the, the first thing I thought was like that looks a bit like that looks a bit like Eccleston's jacket actually. But there you go, it's, you know, it's, that's just me and my monomania once again. Yeah, it, it is a little bit strange, you, you know, in some of the um, McCoy audios you have mm. to listen to the background hum of the TARDIS to try and figure out whether or not it's the old white TARDIS or whether it's the um, the TV TARDIS movie. that we see in the TV movie, yeah. Oh. And I, I, I you know, I, I know Doctor Who fans are extremely good at paying attention to detail, but my goodness, are we now going to have to keep an ear open for a new different kind of sonic screwdriver? Or when the Doctor takes his jacket off, are we going to have to try and identify <laughs> the rustle of leather as opposed to Velcro or whatever it was, velour, Velcro? He wasn't wearing Velcro, was he? It was velour. Um I think he should have been wearing Velcro. That would have been a good outfit. And it would have come up better on an audio play. And I really ought to stop this sentence. McGann in a Velcro jumpsuit. My goodness. (laughs) Now that would have been a story worth reporting on the podcast. Don't say that too late. Otherwise character options will release a figurine with him him wearing it. Oh, with a sticky coat. You can stick on your jumper. One that female fans can rip off, perhaps. Oh, Oh, this is getting better all the time. Yeah, you better... You, you you better put verbal copyright down on that now, Trev, oh, just in yes. case someone decides yes. to use that one. You never know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Shall we move on? Welcome back to the Doctor Who podcast, where... Yes, go on. <laughs> we talk bollocks. <laughs> yes. For your entertainment. Right. Shall we, shall we move on? Or yeah, uh, yeah, we yeah. finish? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm all Velcroed out. Yeah, sorry. Okay. All right. So we've been to Australia, we've been to New Zealand, and we're now moving over to America. Matt Smith is going to be guesting on CBS's The Late Show with Craig Ferguson in the United States on the 16th of November. Fans in Los Angeles can apply for tickets for the recording, which starts at half past three in the afternoon, from the show's website that you can find if you happen to Google it or look on the Doctor Who news page. Matt Smith will also be joined on the show by an actor that some of you may have heard of, Jeff Goldblum. Interesting. See, Goldblum would make an interesting American Doctor Who if the show got rebooted. Would indeed. Yeah, if if the show was rebooted in uh, you know in an American style, he'd be, he'd be a pretty good lead actor for the show. I would have thought. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we often play these games within fandom, I suppose. If you were going to have an American Doctor, who would it be? And you think of the guys who have been touted in the past. Johnny Depp, I think, oh, uh, was the most great. recent name when the Doctor Who movie was uh, was talked about. Denzel Washington was a choice at some points, And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think Jeff Goldblum in particular would be very, very good. Again, for some reason, a long black leather jacket and sunglasses comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But Matrixy, but I see where you're coming from. He's got, he's got that. He has got that that yeah. interesting physicality about him as well, and there is something distinctly otherworldly, not unlike the Tom. He's got a touch of the Tom Baker's about him. I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I spent a joyous year watching. I think it was a year or two years that he spent on uh, Law and Order: Criminal Intent as the mm. lead investigator, and you just sat there going, "This guy'd make a very very interesting Doctor. Really would." Well, going from a new McGann sonic screwdriver to a new I suppose, Matt Smith's Sonic Screwdriver. Um, Fans of Nintendo products like the Wii and the DS will be thrilled to learn that they're beginning two new Doctor Who games on that particular platform. Now, Evacuation Earth is the name of the title that's going to be on the Wii platform. So you will get to stand there and actually be Matt Smith. And one of the really fantastic things is if you buy the limited special edition digi pack, whatever, you get with it a sonic screwdriver-shaped Wii device, which you can use in the game. So not only can you be Matt Smith, you can stand there and wave around his sonic screwdriver. That sounds like a dream come true for any Doctor Who fan. Yeah, me too. I think this is something that um, has always been 
threatened ever since. I, I think the technical names for them are nunchucks, aren't they? The, the kind of yeah. game controllers for the Wii. I think the nunchuck is the one with the little thumb thing. Yeah. That's it. But the other one is the one that is actually what the sonic screwdriver is going to be. It's like the wand yes. sort of thing. Yes, yes. And I, I think it's just, you know, the technology is there um, and it fits in with Doctor Who perfectly because, of course, you'll never have the Doctor with a gun. You'll never have the Doctor hit people um, or anything along those lines. But the sonic screwdriver is just absolutely perfect and it's a marketing dream come true. And I'm surprised it's taken this long, really, in order to get uh, get a game released but they're out on the 12th of November in the UK. Yeah, well, there's one for DS called Return to Earth, which you won't get a um, Wii device for that, but you'll get a stylus, which you can use on your DS in the shape of a sonic screwdriver. So, oh, wow. Almost makes me want to go out and buy a DS myself. Uh, in a bit of uh, news that might not surprise a lot of Doctor Who fans out there, the seventh Doctor Sylvester McCoy has been cast in the upcoming film The hey. Hobbit. Now, there have been, been rumours around for a while uh, that he's been offered a role in the movie, but uh, he was at, the uh, again, the Armageddon Expo in Auckland and uh, let spill that he has been offered a role by uh, Mr Jackson. Yeah, I mean, originally the rumours circulating around Sylvester McCoy was that he was going to play Bilbo Baggins, um, which, of course, is quite a prominent role in The Hobbit. In fact, it's the most prominent role, I think, in The Hobbit, yeah. Mm. Uh, but no, he's confirmed that he's going to be playing Radagast. And, well, given that I have not read The Hobbit since I was at school, and I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, full stop, perhaps one of you two can tell me whether that's a, a particularly big role for him? Well, in the book, it's not a huge role, but um, a source very close to Sylvester McCoy has confirmed um, that the role's being padded out to actually make to give him more to do but yes um it's not a huge role in the book but it's being expanded to give mr mccoy something um you know a, a lot more of a role because he's just really really good at that um to expand on it a to just to expand on it a little bit and i'm sure there'll be other lords of the, lord of the rings fans that can help me out with this um when the story starts gandalf is gandalf the gray saruman is um, and saruman is saruman the black and then you've got Radagast the Brown. So wizards, uh, wizards, wizards all have different colours. And so Radagast is brown, where Gandalf is initially grey. Uh, and I think as long-term viewers of the, of the Rings franchise know, he eventually turns white. Well, it happens to the best of us with age, doesn't it? Sounds very uh, similar to uh, Liv Tyler's role in those first three films, that she was pretty much only in the, in the appendices of the original Lord of the Rings book, but they oh, right. expanded it out and uh, gave her like a big meaty role in the actual. Mm. Uh, well, film. McCoy's a he's a he's a really good actor. It must be said. I mean, I know, I know that mm. Doctor Who fandoms kind of split about his Doctor, but you know, over the years, the, the, the stuff he's done with Big Finish is really, really just showing what a great actor he truly is. Well, uh, two entertain have confirmed the uh, third, I, I believe, the final story that's going to be in the Revisitations number two box set. It's going to be the second Doctor story, The Seeds of Death, mm. which is uh, absolutely fantastic news. Now, it, it was released on DVD in 2003, and even before that, um, back in the VHS days, it was one of the, I think it was the first second Doctor story to be released on VHS, and it was in one of those awful omnibus formats where they take out all the... Um, end and opening credits of the intervening episodes and just release it as like a big movie version. So um, it, it's fantastic. It's getting the uh, proper DVD treatment. Okay. Mm, I, I think it's a bit of a strange choice. I have to say, I, I would have laid money on if they were going to include a second Doctor story in this box set, they would have gone back to Tomb of the Cybermen because there is so much history behind that particular story mm. in addition to it being a fantastic story as well. And I love The Seeds of Death. I think that's a really great story. See the Ice Warriors, etc. But I'm just a bit surprised that they've chosen to include this story ahead of Tomb. I think the additional thing about To Entertain, which I found quite interesting, was that um, Sharda, or is it Sharda or Shada, uh, is being worked on for release. Sharda. 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 Yeah, no, that's, the, that's the closest we're going to come to seeing some new fourth, doct uh, fourth Doctor action. In fact, it is yes. the only way we're going to see any new Fourth Doctor action. I mean, there are, there are ways of experiencing Sharda uh, uh, via the internet or the existing footage. But so it'll be really interesting. Or to indeed, see. by the eighth Doctor version of Sharda, the Big Finish released a good few years ago now. Shall shall we miss number eleven out because it's so boring, and it was only in there in case yeah, we didn't manage not? to string it out. 
dear. Yes, listeners, we're not going to read number 11 on our list because it's incredibly boring. Yes. Oh, who, who's going to do the most? Ha- Let's just cherry pick some words out of number 11 just to give our listeners a bit okay, of a then. tantalizing glimpse about what they're missing out on. Withouse. Doctor. Who. Gatus. Ceremony. November. Ashes. There you go. Piece together what you will of that particular news item. We'll move on to number 12. Okay. Uh, we sadly have to report the death of the writer Mervyn Hazeman. Now, for fans of Doctor Who, uh, they'll be aware of his work on the show, uh, The Abominable Snowman, The Web of Fear, and recently released on V8 on uh, DVD, we've got The Dominators. Uh, the DVD is probably quite inter- is uh, an interesting view as well because you've actually got an interview uh, with the late Mervyn Hazeman on there as well. Um, obviously, outside Doctor Who, uh, Hazeman did other TV series, um, a little bit of Howard's Way and the uh, O'Needin line, which is a great period drama. But yes, um, sad to report the death of uh, one of the great contributing writers to Doctor Who there. And on a more lighter note, uh, a holiday cottage designed as a tribute to a long-term Doctor Who fan has opened in the southeast of England. Dr John Smith's cottage has been set up in memory of David Bannister, who died suddenly last year at the age of 51, leaving a large collection of Doctor Who memorabilia. Bannister had been a fan of the series since childhood and shared many happy moments watching the series with his brother Tony, who decided to refit a cottage in Kent in memory of his brother. The property houses Bannister's extensive library of DVDs, CDs and books, all of which are available to the use of the tenants. There is a Dalek in the living room and the private courtyard features a blue police box. The property is based at Lyd, I believe I've pronounced that correctly, one of the larger towns on the Romney Marsh in Kent. And bookings can actually be made to go and stay at the cottage via the website. And again, I'd suggest that you go back and take a look at the Doctor Who news page if you want to find out precisely how to make that booking. But yeah, it sounds quite an interesting um holiday destination perhaps you know in times of austerity you're not going to go traveling halfway around the world you can go and stay in a doctor who cottage in kent so that's all for episode 49 uh, our news episode i've got to say it's lovely to be back in the saddle with my two opposite m- numbers trev and james um we've got some interesting separate stuff. saddles you understand listeners separate saddles <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like the goodies, that 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 that, that three man tricycle thing. <laughs> what was that called? Indeed, the goodies. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> right. It was good, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, what was it? What was You'll have to take a listen to the goodies podcast. There is actually a goodies podcast. Really good. Listen. Oh, terrific! <laughs> terrific. Okay, I'm not going to do that because I was going to start. Oh. <laughs> Right, let's start again, shall we? Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. You might remember, at the very beginning of this episode, we had a brief discussion about the regeneration limit and a story about Russell T. Davis writing the 507 regenerations, Regenegate, as it's become known. Now, in response to a couple of requests on the forums, after the credits of this episode, there is the full discussion that we had. Now, you've got two or three minutes at the beginning of this episode, but after the credits, you've got the full 30 minutes of shouting, recrimination. <laughs> Was it only 30 minutes? Well, wow. it felt much it, longer. It, it, it felt like about an hour. <laughs> My life did shorten, and I've never, you know, I, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, people getting into it, but you know, there's something slightly frightening about a big, passionate middle-aged man from Australia really getting into a discussion there. Um, but yeah, so literally, um, for an audio extra, keep listening after the credits so you get the full effect of us talking about Regenerate Part Two, and this time, Onion Boy has mm. a say. So we are doing it a massive di- disservice, I suppose, because we said a lot of things that we didn't want to put in the main show, but. We were incredibly passionate. Hang on, hang on. How about we? How, who's who's we? I think you need to quantify we, <laughs> Mr. Gensch. You were passionate in your own way, James. <laughs> and we'll let the listeners decide, yeah. I think. Absolutely. So listen after the credits for the full half-hour version of our discussion about RTD, Regenerate Gate, or whatever you want to call it, and uh, that annoying 507. <laughs> annoying to limit. some, and perfectly acceptable to, to others. <laughs> listeners we would encourage you to chip in after you've taken the listen and you can hear how aerated we get about it um, please make certain that you let us know what you think and you can do this in a number of ways either you can continue the conversation continue the debate 
all right, continue the argument on the Doctor <laughs> Who podcast forums. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way of terming it. Or you can send us an email or an MP3. And if you do send an MP3, keep it to a couple of minutes. And if you send in an email, keep it to a couple of lines. Just get your main points across. And at some point, we will revisit this. And we'll actually put a full stop after our discussions about Regenerate because it has gone on too long now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in the meantime, then I think, guys, after a mammoth recording, session for us i think we need to say goodbye so say goodbye chaps goodbye chaps kbo all the best for now listeners be back soon that was the doctor who podcast which you can find at the doctor who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the doctor who podcast.com you can also find us on twitter Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. Russell T. Davis has been quoted in SFX magazine about the infamous line or the now infamous line in the latest episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, Death of the Doctor, which has provoked a teensy-weensy little bit of debate on the internet. He said, I could not resist. I was hooting. It will never stick, though. That 13 lives is stuck in people's heads. And he's absolutely right. I think he set out to achieve precisely what has actually happened, which is absolute furore um, within fandom. So, Tom, well, I'm... sorry, go ahead. All, all I was going to say was, okay, let, let me try... What was he trying to achieve? Was he trying to achieve publicity for the Sarah Jane Adventures? Or, I mean, the, the way I read that quote is... It's Russell T. Davies having a bit of fun and thinking, oh, this will be such a giggle. Yeah. Everyone will be talking about it. And publicity is like a byproduct of it. I mean, my opinion of RTD has gone down, if it could get any lower, um, when I read that. Because that, that sort of stuff really annoys me, that people having fun and not treating, I suppose, canon elements of Doctor Who seriously. Um, because RTD doesn't sure he's he's a fan of the show, but he doesn't really seem to care about mm. some of the aspects of the show. Uh, do you know, I think he's a fan of the show, but I'm not sure if he's a fan of some of the hardcore fans. And to be honest, I read that and thought, okay, that's just the Doctor being flippant in the same, you know, mm. in the way that he would be flippant. And the only people who would take that serious would be the hardcore fans. And you know, for, no, it, yeah, no. absolutely, I no, yeah. no, no, Tom, because J James and I talked about this last week. Oh how we, we were talking about the 12 regeneration limit isn't known by anyone other than, say, fans. And, and I disagree with him quite passionately. Mm. And that last line in, in the quote James read out, that 13 lives is stuck in people's heads. Yeah. Now, RTD is thinking, everyone knows about that regeneration limit. Won't it be a hoot to play with every single viewer's mind. Nah, he means everybody, no. meaning every fan. He's not talking yep. about no. the casual yep. viewers. Um, Tom is 100% yep. absolutely, completely correct on this. Uh, the 13 lines he's stuck in, fandom's head. He's messing with fandom. He's never had any respect for fandom, um, you know, apart from being a fan in his own little way. And mm. this, this 13 regeneration limits, as I said, it's an obscure little fact that very few people know about. But uh, we've oh. had that conversation already. But certainly in the UK, I, I would imagine Tom will have. be able to back me up on that. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but here's the thing. The, the, other, the, the other thing is, I forget which story it is, but there's that thing about Time Lords living forever, barring accidents as well. Uh, War Games episode 10. But, yes, I know. Okay, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's really just to play with the fans, to be honest. Uh, you know, totally. It, 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 it's something no one else is going to care about. I mean, when people watch that, the, I don't know, the 8 to 13-year-olds, they're not going to be interested. Oh. They won't even remember it. You know, it's, it's, oh. They're not going to suddenly make it on their list of fundamental things to know about the Doctor or the Sarah Jane adventures. It's just a line. It is so unimportant to everybody else. Yeah, well... 
we're we're talking about a line here. Let let's draw a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Who do you consider a fan of Doctor Who? Because in that comment you just said saying eight to thirteen year olds won't care. Yep. You're not calling them fans. You're 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 calling them at best casual viewers of a show that don't really care one way or another. And and to me you're doing a disservice to them. No, because no, they are fans, but they will not be fans of Doctor Who because they're not old enough to be as dedicated and passionate and as knowledgeable about the show as people who I will call fans that were oh, you, Tom, know. and I would exemplify. Oh, no, and no. I, I, if, I do if, not think a fan of a spin-off series is going to suddenly think, oh, my goodness, they've suddenly changed the regeneration limit on a story set in 1977 or recorded or transmitted in 1977, and they're not going to suddenly get on the computer and go crazy about it. You look at all of the reaction, all of the completely disproportionate reaction about this particular story on the internet is by guys like us, I'm afraid. It is not no, about... Yes, no. it is. Well, point me to no. any kind of argument where you've got fans, dedicated fans, who have followed the Sarah Jane Adventures for four years having a problem with that exchange in the ventilation shaft. There isn't one. If we were podcasting in 1989, when the only people watching the show or were fans of the show were the hardcore audience, like the two or three people that dressed up as Sylvester McCoy, I would be 100% on board. But the general pool of Doctor Who fans has increased so much since 2005. I mean, we, we've talked on this very show and on, and on the WhoCast. What a phenomenon Doctor Who is now that fan... That you know that 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 general fan level has increased so much mm. that it's just not the people keeping the show alive back in the nineties that you can term as fans. It's a whole lot bigger now. Well, yeah, on, it maybe, is. Maybe, but I'm, it, it, maybe I'm missing something here. So, Trev, what is what is your problem with with, with that? Is it that it's that, that it 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 throws canon? Is that is that the problem with this, or it's disrespectful? Is that what the no, problem is? No, I'm I'm happy now that I understand what the reference was and that. The, the, the actual reference wasn't the fact that he was saying, oh, I can live forever, but it's it, it was the newspapers beating it up oh. and turning 507 into equals forever, which oh. from a certain viewpoint, I suppose, can mean the same thing. What really annoys me is this quote that James has read in this episode, that he's basically sticking his tongue out at fans or anyone watching the show or anyone who has a knowledge of Doctor Who, oh. even in a general way, and saying... I'm having so much fun. It was a hoot. I was hooting. I could not resist. Yeah. He's laughing at us. Yeah. Yeah. He's teasing us. And he's, he's getting being rude to us. And you're tri- giving tri- him the reaction that he's after. Mm. <laughs> he's, yeah, exactly. He's, this exactly is precisely, this is precisely no, well, what he's trying to do. If that's the reaction he's after, then, well, he's got it, but he's mm. also failed. Because if you're going to be even a former executive producer of Doctor Who, and you're... Millionaire, Russell C. Davis, yes. <laughs> one one doesn't want to use a route, no. Uh, I mean, if you're going to be being that rude to a Doctor Who fan, then what are you in the game for? What do you even still have anything to do with Doctor Who? It's an entertainment. It's just an entertainment. Okay, one other thing. Trev, what was the story that got... And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you because, you know, you're you're clearly very passionate about this and and it's your opinion, so, you know, it's, it's valid for that. What was the story that got you into Doctor Who again? Just remind me. What was the story that got me into Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned it a couple of times. Um, well, probably one of my earliest memories would be stuff like The Time Warrior from John Pertwee. No, the, the story that, you, that, you, that, um, that I've got in my mind that converted you was The Five Doctors. No. Oh, okay. Sorry, my mistake then. All right, I might edit that out. Yeah, sorry. You're, you're totally wrong. <laughs> sorry, okay. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Is, is that, is, was that one of your favourites? I... Okay, well, let's let let's go with what you're saying. I I have a great love for the Five Doctors okay. because I understand what it is and and I really enjoy watching it, even with its multiple million releases on DVD and VHS. It, it, it's a fantastic story. Cool. Right, what the, the part of this I want to dra- I want to bring you around to. You can probably see it coming. Is the conversation between Barusa and the Master? Yeah, that he he offers the Master a, a complete new life cycle. And, you know, the Master's very intrigued by this, that it, it, it seems to be something that the High Council can bestow. Mm, exactly so. That's, 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 that's fine. So, I, but what's I, the difference between that? Well, there is quite a difference. There is quite a difference. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I think that particular scene, as we've talked about before, so therefore, Trev, you might actually want to edit this out, uh, because we, we mentioned this last time. Sorry, I, have, sorry, um, I haven't done much listening, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry, it's all right. But the, 
I think the belief or the common belief within fandom or what they want to believe is that the ability to regenerate 12 times is a fundamental part of the organic makeup of a Time Lord. Now, Mm. what the Five Doctors actually suggests is that that can be doctored with, that can be, um, you know, changed a little bit, it can be intervened with. And Mm. the, the, Mm -hmm. the Five Doctors is just one example of that. I mean, if you look at what the Doctor, sorry, at what the Master does within the TV movie, the whole intention is to try and steal additional regenerations long beyond his 12th and alleged final regeneration so it can always be tweaked with it can always be changed but i don't think what we saw in the sarah jane adventures is a change of rules i don't actually think it is now right we've moved it from 12 to 507 what the what what rtd i think is trying to do is engender a kind of mass hysteria on the internet but realistically in another story later on i strongly believe someone you know is, is probably going to refer to the 12 regeneration limit because Matt Smith's character, Matt Smith's doctor, was joking. He was just trying to say to Clyde anything so that Clyde would get out of that ventilation shaft because if he just said, well, that's a very good point, Clyde, it's actually 12 times my limit, but I'm on my 11th at the moment and I've got to start thinking about it. I mean, that was not a conversation for the doctor and Clive to have had in that ventilation shaft. It is. I understand why RTD was hooting because he's got the reaction that he thought he might get and he thinks it's hilarious. And also he's one on the other side because this doesn't become canon. And the comment that we've reported that's engendered this kind of discussion actually says, I couldn't resist it. It will never stick though. He never intended it to stick. He never intended it to be you know, a, another part of fundamental yeah. Doctor Who. That's my interpretation <laughs> of it anyway. Then don't do it, RTD. Just go away. I mean, we, we <laughs> didn't have Robert Holmes in 1974 going, oh, won't it be a hoot to um, put a 12 regeneration limit on this series? Won't that be an absolute yeah. gas I couldn't resist? Yes, and and we didn't have was... Terence Dixon 1983 saying, won't it be a hoot to offer the master and a, a new regeneration cycle? That'll really play with the fans. Wrote... No, it, it was a plot point. It was part of the overall fabric of the story. Who wrote Utopia? I mean, you, 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 you can argue about the effectiveness of it, but no, you, you just don't do that type of stuff. You you don't do that sort of stuff for fun. It it's 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 insulting and it's disgusting. <laughs> so Trev, I think I think you now need to come out and say precisely what it is that you mean. Because you you've beat around the bush long enough. <laughs> but okay, do, do you I know think what? It's interesting I, though. A, 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 a very brief point here. Um who wrote Utopia again? <laughs> RTD. Okay, what happened to the master in that? What did he do? Oh, at what point? Um, he he got a well, what one would term an extra regeneration. Just just the one, do you think? Well, it hasn't been contradicted to any. Oh, that yeah, already, I mean, because that man's already had level, twelve. So he's already yeah, had twelve, he's, thirteen even. You see, see again, that is fine because it's it's a valid plot point. Oh, that, is it? Is that, it? I that, mean, in, in the same way that the master was brought back in the end of time because the time lords resurrected him because he would be such a fantastic warrior. That's not a plot point. That's just making up magic and making things up. Now, I find that no, more insulting. No. I find that more insulting you... than having the five hundred and seven line. All of a sudden, you you know you can resurrect time lords whenever you happen to feel like it. Because that's they're lords of the time, they can do that. How do so we know that they then? didn't? Why have we no, got five hundred and seven? It should be five billion and seven. How do we know that the Time Lords didn't delve back into the sixth regeneration of the Master and pull him forward? They 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 were desperate. They were at war. They they did these type of things. But that for me, even if it was after the end of the Five Doctors, after the Planet of Fire, I mean, if they brought him back from you know death with a magic potion, you you can argue all you like about the validity and what you think emotionally of, of that plot point. But it's still something that services the story. Now, when when you've got someone like RTD that just sits there and goes, oh, I'm going to put this in because it's going to be such a hoot. It's going to be so much fun. 
but that forget his doesn't motives. service the story. It but doesn't you, service the story. But if you've just made a big leap there, right, in order to retcon um, a part or a story point in a recent Doctor Who that doesn't make a great deal of sense, can you not just leave aside what Russell, Dav- Russell T. Davies has said outside of the story and look at the context of that particular exchange between the Doctor and Clyde. Forget what RTD says. It doesn't matter whether it's a hoot or not. Can you not make that same leap in terms of saying, right, okay, it's there to serve a point. And the point was the Doctor didn't want to get into a conversation with Clyde at that particular point in time. No, I can't. You can't do that. No, I I know what RTD has said. And if tomorrow they released... Uh, a five doctors special special ultimate mega edition and terence dicks got on the commentary and said oh when i was writing the bit with the time lords and the master and giving him a regeneration cycle it was such a hoot let's play with the fans heads then my opinion of that would be lessened a lot more because it's it's the writer's intent not to service the story but that's to give them about. a bit of fun. But why does it matter? And, and that, why does why does the it, writer's intent matter? I mean, surely it's the story that's oh, being told is the most important thing. The writer's um, intent is paramount because that's oh, what they're doing when they're, when they're writing the story. Right, okay. That, that, you, no, you, that's, you, a, you, that's a really interesting thing. Do you know what? I, uh, the, the, uh, I'm, Trevor, I think you're wrong. The moment, if you write a story, what you mean to do with it is less important than what's uh, what the audience interprets from that. It's the same as a piece of music. No matter it, what's what's in the composer's head is less important than how it's received by the audience. His intent is something which is which is kind of important to him because it's a motivating factor. But what you take from the story is a different thing entirely. And I, and to be honest, if, if I if I watched. Um, the Deadly Assassin, and some of Robert Holmes's, and I, and I learned that Robert Holmes was writing this, you know, and he was deliberately trying to upset me. It wouldn't lessen my enjoyment of the show because do you know what? I don't know Robert Holmes. The only bit, the only bit of Robert, Robert Holmes that I know is his writing, and what I take from Absolutely. his writing is something is fuel for my imagination. That's the most important thing. No, because mm. everything apart from this RTD shambles is valid. In The Deadly Assassin, Robert Holmes wrote it to show the desperation of the character and he was ending his lives. In The Five Doctors, Terence Dix wrote that particular bit because he wanted to give the Master an incentive to go and rescue the Doctor or, or Doctors mm. from the Death Zone because half the Time Lord Council had been killed. Mm. When RTD writes something in um, the Sarah Jane Adventures for a hoot... But what's the story reason? Yeah. No story reason at there all. Is a, there None. is a story reason. There is yeah, a story it's reason. It's a joke. If, it's it wasn't, a joke. If, there, if there wasn't a story reason, you'd have all of the audience going, well, that doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. And they're not doing that. The story reason was so that they could get out of that ventilation shaft as quickly as possible. Um, in, in terms of in te- writer's intent, have you listened to the commentary on the Silver Nemesis disc at all, Trev? Because that's no, I haven't. No. Well, Kevin Clark's intent was to turn Doctor Who into God, and he wrote Silver Nemesis, assuming that um, the Doctor, the Seventh Doctor, was actually God. That's now. Does that no? That does it impact your enjoyment anymore? Because I think it's ludicrous. No, utterly ludicrous. It 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 actually makes a lot of sense because around that time we have the great Andrew Cartmel master plan where Kevin Clark might have misinterpreted that to say rather than the doctor being part of the ultimate three like being this amazing being from ancient other. time yeah. lord society the other he's interpreted that as being some sort of omnipotent being i.e god now that's fine with me if if he wants to write that that's fine because that's his interpretation because well, it wasn't that, that, that he made it very clear what what he did he didn't he actually goes on record as saying i had absolutely no idea the way I was going to pitch this to the production team. And I made it up on the morning that I had the meeting. And he went in and he said he decided that the Doctor was God whilst he was facing whoever it was that he was facing, John Nathan Turner, Cartmel, I'm not sure. Um, but that that is a particularly interesting thing to watch or listen to if you're interested in writers' intents or attitudes. That works uh, for me you... perfectly. That that's I've got absolutely mm. no problem with that because he, he, he walks into a writers' meeting, Andrew Cartmel, John Nathan Turner are sitting there, and he says, right, Mr. Clark, um, I'm, I'm going to now make the Doctor a god. Okay, that's fine. I find, I find, says... that, I find that more insulting. I find no. because he's basically being very cavalier, um, not really caring um, about any kind of, you know, it, it, values that the show has um, at all. Whereas RTD is actually achieving both. He's he, he's not actually compromising telling of a story. Everything makes sense, 
and he just decides to perhaps give the fans no. what he believes, I think, a dig in the ribs. It's not a punch in the face, it's a dig in the ribs when he's interviewed. There's a big difference for me because, I mean, if Kevin walks in and says, I'm going to make the Doctor a god, Andrew and John sit there and go, mm, that's an interesting idea. That kind of works in with their idea about the Doctor being the other. So we'll take his script, we'll modify it, and it, it will fit in with the master plan. So you know, I, f- that, I find that, that more insulting, actually. I, f- I, f- I, find, I find that more insulting. What, 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 I f- what I love about, Doctor, about the character of the Doctor is, although there's a character there, he's a cipher. And the time that comes, and the only time that really changes is just before that cipher leaves. Um, you know, so in the last few moments before the regeneration, you realise quite what personality that that's, that little cipher has. What I do object to, and it's only a personal objection, I can't make it anyone else's problem, is being told who the Doctor is. I don't want to know who the Doctor is because the Doctor is me. The mm. Doctor is anyone mm. I like. You know, but at the moment you start putting really definite character traits and backstory in there because there isn't one really. I mean, there's you know, there's, there's bits, little bits and pieces, which is why the character's gone on for. 50 years with, with, with uh, 11 different faces. The moment you start to tie things down, the mystery goes. And the moment, and, and even with the Cartman Master Plan, I mean, having, having listened quite closely to what was going on with that, um, uh, it's a brilliant writer's conceit, but it takes a while, you know, rather than adding any mystery to the character, adding mystery to the character, it starts yeah. to fix things. And I don't like that at all. Um, yes, all right, mm. sorry. And the other thing I would Do say you- is, this is the podcast in itself, this. <laughs> It's getting that way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff, guys. <laughs> Fabulous. I've missed this. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Do you know, Trevor and I got on so well when you weren't around, Tom. <laughs> 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 can, can, can you go away again? <laughs> yes, you know, bye. But, uh, I th- guys, we really ought to move on to the other 506 news items that we've got to cover. Um, <laughs> I just so, want to uh... say one thing more because um, I, I actually want to surprise Tom and say I totally agree with what you're saying. Because it, it comes back to my earlier point. You mightn't agree with what they're doing with the story, but it's still a valid plot point that serves the story. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, and to, to mm-hmm. me, that's paramount. Whether or not you agree with the Doctor being God, whether you agree with the Doctor being the other, which I don't agree with any of them. I, I, I agree with you, Tom, that the more you explain the Doctor, the less interesting he becomes. Yeah, um, yeah. That... It's it's a part of the show's history that is now well in the past, and it, it's it's something they tried at the time, but it worked for some people. It didn't work for others. Is, is, is not introducing is is not is not introducing a random number like five hundred and seven adding to the mystery of the Doctor? Then no, because it is. It's not. It's, con- it's convoluting it. It's making it a bit. Is it twelve? Is it thirteen? Is it five hundred and seven? Is it five billion and seven? Hey, yeah. we're not going to tell you. Haven't we spent no, the last two weeks arguing that it's it's a totally non-serious number? <laughs> it is. Well, exactly. I, I believe so. I believe so. I, I would, Which is why the regeneration, or what are they calling this now? I think it's Regenegate. I think that's how fans are referring <laughs> to this whole issue, which I really quite like, I have to say. I wish I could claim um, authorship of that. But <laughs> Regenegate, that's fantastic. Regenerate. I've heard it on about three or four different podcasts, and no one's been able to actually cite a source yet. So, if if you're listening and you invented that, then uh, and you want to make a claim on it, send uh, please send us an email. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating issue, and I think you can look at it a number of different ways. And I, I think the past. I mean, I don't know how long uh, you, the listener, will actually get to hear us talking about this, but we've actually <laughs> been recording and discussing this issue alone for nearly half an hour. And Trevor and I deliberately recorded a special podcast to cover it. So that just shows how much conversation, how much debate and how much people are actually considering this issue. Um, you know, and it won't go away yet. I don't think it's going to go away until we actually see the issue addressed in the way that, Tom, you've mentioned on several occasions in the past, actually as part of a proper Doctor Who episode and yeah. it will actually the story will be told out whether or not that will ever materialize whether or not there'll be a writer brave enough to take that on whether there'll be a writer or an executive producer who gives it enough importance to actually address it within a story only time will tell it always does 